this is the word of the Lord, not science fiction. This is not virtual reality. This is the end game of history. We're giving you 12 messages, four on judgment. It gets better. We've had the third week on judgment. Next week will be Babylon, then the second coming, then the thousand-year reign of Christ, then the white throne, then the new heaven and the new earth. But we've skipped. We covered just the seven seals, seven trumpets, and now we do the seven bowls. So we've skipped chapter 10 and chapter 11. Chapter 11, you've got two witnesses that witness in the city of Jerusalem for 1260 days and are killed. They are raised miraculously as they carry on their ministry in the city of Jerusalem. In chapter 13, we have a satanic trinity emerge, the dragon, Satan. And we have one called a beast who is commonly known as the Antichrist and the willful king of Daniel 11. And this man emerges and de eventually is declared to be God and is declared to be one that the whole earth should worship and follow. And there's another one that's called a beast, but he's a false prophet. And his job is to promote this Antichrist. So you've got this satanic trinity that Satan raises up a human being to represent a false Christ, an Antichrist, during that period of time for the false prophet following. Chapter 14, 144,000 Jews before the throne and the, of the Lamb worshiping. Chapter 15, he's announcing the last judgment, the very last of God's wrath is going to be poured out. This is it. And he starts these bold judgments. So we're going to do two things, try to do. I hope you got a set of notes uh, because we don't hand out notes for you to put them in the trash can. We, if you throw them away, don't let me see it, okay? I'll collect the fine. Uh, it's for you to study at home because some people say, well, this stuff is a little heavy. Thank you. Thank you. I had one man tell me, he said, the book of Revelation is difficult. I asked him, have you ever read it? No. It would be difficult. This is the overview. It's a revelation of Christ, not the mystery of Christ. If we were under popery, I would tell you idiots, you can't understand the Bible. And you need a middleman priest. But we're part of the Reformation that says every man, woman, boy, and girl who is indwelt by the Spirit can understand the things revealed by God. The natural man calls it all folly. They don't even understand the book of John. So let's come to church and think. And many folks in church never learn to think. They jump pews, but they never think. Will you think with me? I want you to follow me. I want to give the overview of the seven balls. Then I want to reach back and give you more detail than you want. Because you want me to fix your marriage. And I may be telling you you're living with a beast. <laughs> so let's stay in, in Revelation, okay? We'll get to the other beasts later. That's another series. That's another series. Look at these bowls. They're straightforward. They're not difficult. 
to understand. He says that God is going to judge the people of the earth that are following the Antichrist and have been so marked by him, the mark of the beast. And so, who is the beast? The beast is the man revealed in chapter 13. We've not looked at that chapter, but he's an antichrist. He, he's an imposter. He comes to oppose everything of God, and people must follow him to buy, sell, do commerce, whatever. He controls the earth through a number system, and everybody's trying to figure out 666. Here's the big thing to remember about six. Six is the number of man, and no matter how hard he tries, he's still man. He can't reach the status of perfection. Seven is usually used a number to symbolize God's perfection. Seven spirits, seven this. He, he's still man. This Antichrist is a man energized by Satan. So God is going to judge them, and he's going to give painful sores, much like he did in the plagues upon Egypt. And then the second uh, bowl is he turns the sea into blood, and it will be one uh, wretched bowl of carrion, and human flesh, semen, animal life in the sea. Now, some debate, is this just the Mediterranean, for it was the only sea that John would have thought of. He didn't know about the Pacific Ocean or the Atlantic. He just knew of the Mediterranean. Either way, it's going to be, uh, there won't be enough Lysol on the, can, uh, you know, on the earth to cover the stench of coming into Palestine from this sea being turned, as it were, into human blood. It's going to be a bloody, stinking mess to cover the entire sea. He uh, judges all the fresh water in the third bowl, and the fresh water is taken, and uh, rivers, springs of water, once again, kind of like Egypt, turning the Nile River into blood. So he touches that, and it's an amazing, there's an interlude here that angelic beings start saying this, just are you, O holy one, who is and who was? For you brought these judgments. They have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. He goes on to say, true and just are your judgments. It's hard to find justice on the earth. Going back to Revelation 6, the martyrs, Pray before the altar. How long will it be before you avenge us upon those who have killed us? Deuteronomy 32 says, Vengeance is mine, I will pay, will repay, saith the Lord. 2 Thessalonians 1 says, The Lord will come from heaven with his saints with great fire and judgment to render vengeance upon those who have killed his people and blasphemed his name. God is just, and we're used to God being made into the Santa Claus that must meet our every need. Bob Dylan had a line in one of his songs, you think he's just an errand boy to satisfy your wandering desires. 
He's no pathetic Christ in chapter 1. He's a powerful Christ. And he came riding on a donkey in Jerusalem, offering the terms of peace to the world and to Israel, and we sent him back to heaven with five wounds. We don't want the offer. So here's the issue. God has always reigned from the heavens. To call God king, big deal. You read Psalms. He's king eternal. The issue is God promised in Psalms 2, I shall place my king on Mount Zion. How can we ever get this king to be king on earth? Can he ever reign on the earth? He cannot without a fight. He will be resisted to the last. They will not let him come. He will not be able to get this earth on peaceful terms. So he comes as the Lion of Judah. He comes as a warrior to fight and take what's rightfully his. You remember what Luke 20 said? The landowner uh, sent his servants to collect the rent. And the first man they beat up and sent him away empty-handed. He sent another servant. This one they beat up and killed. Finally, he said, if I send my son to collect the rent, they'll say, this is the owner's son, and they'll be glad to cooperate. They killed the son, too. And so God is saying, the earth is mine. The nations belong to me. I've been rejected for 2,000 years since the cross, not just counting all of history. Man's been in rebellion ever since his exile from the Eden. We're a rebellious, stubborn, depraved race. And the son will not be able to rule on this earth without going to war. And he's going to war. And here the angels are saying, and you're just. Your judgments are right. I read a book a while back called Just Mercy. Just Mercy is about a black lawyer that went to Harvard and was on his way to a very successful career. And one summer he practiced law in Alabama where a black man could not get a just trial. A Klansman could kill uh, and get away with it, but if a black man was out of order, you'd have an all-white jury, a white judge, and a white sheriff. And this black man could afford no lawyer. So this story, Just Mercy, you can get it on Amazon. He spent his summers defending poor whites and poor blacks that were sent up for minor crimes, 15-year-old boys given death sentences because they couldn't get any justice. They couldn't be treated right. If you can get a high-powered lawyer, you can get the world's biggest crook off, but not in Alabama. And God is saying, I'm coming back to rectify, and politicians won't run history. History won't end on the shoulders of politicians. It's going to end on the shoulders of Christ. And he comes in judgment. He comes in justice. And they're singing, just are you in judgment. Nobody's buying this off. God's waited a long time for man to repent. And when he will not repent, he 
pours out his wrath. The fourth bowl, verse 8. Then he was allowed to scourge the earth with intense heat. These people are still recovering from the sores. They're still living with those. Now God adds heat. I have some friends of mine from Southern Cal several weeks back, I think in the desert, 127 degrees. Can you imagine that according to Isaiah 13, he takes the earth off of its axes and he can bring the sun as close to this earth as he wants? God's in charge of the planets. He says, heat it up. And he's going to scourge the people of this period. Then he pours out his wrath in verse 10 and plunges the people into darkness. And they gnaw their tongues in anguish from the sores that's been inflicted. And uh, the heat, whatever diseases that has caused. I talked with a, a friend of mine yesterday that said, I'm just overcoming a heat stroke. Anybody ever have a heat stroke? Wow. Imagine this. My mouth and body are eaten up with sores. It's the same word used of the sores that Lazarus had that he scraped daily at the rich man's door. To be in pain, gnaw my tongue, consuming heat, and then God turns out the lights. I'm in darkness to suffer. And what do they do? They curse the God of heaven for their pain and sores, and they didn't repent of their deeds. Have you ever uh, played as a kid and you get a kid's arm behind him and said, were you going to say uncle? Nope. Nope. God's got the nations. He says, say uncle. I won't. I won't. Did you know that nobody repents in hell? Nobody repents in hell. And these people don't repent. God says, I'm dealing with the race that no matter how much love I show them or how much pain I bring, they won't bow the knee. Scary, scary. I happen to be a part of this race. It's scary. The sixth bow is the campaign of Armageddon. We'll come back to it. Let's go to number seven. Verse 17. So besides gathering the armies of the earth for this great battle, a campaign of Armageddon, he goes on to say a seventh angel comes, lights up the heavens, Thunder, earthquakes. Have any of you ever lived through an earthquake? Where were you? When, what was it, 86? 89? I was in Dallas. I wouldn't even hear. All my family was out of town. But I tell you, as we watched the news, I said, hey, my hometown's going up in smoke. Oakland, freeways going out. Bay Bridge, section wiped out. Parts of San Francisco on fire. Parts of Oakland on fire. So what's happening? But listen to this earthquake. This earthquake causes the great city, I think this is Jerusalem, falls into three parts. 
The cities of the nations fell. Who'd want to be in New York City with all those skyscrapers when God, can you all, wait, 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 let me, let's see if I'm reading this right. And the cities of the nations fell from this one earthquake. God remembers Babylon the great. He's going to judge her in chapter 17 and 18. We'll deal with Babylon. And notice this. Every island fled away. I believe under the shield judgment, it was like one-third or something. Here they all flee away. And you'll have to tell me what an island is. Is this all the Philippines? All the Hawaiian islands? All the islands of Indonesia? Wherever there's an island, it's going to flee. And no mountains were to be found. The Sierra Range, Rockies, Appalachia, uh, Himalayas, God's going to level the earth. Who does he think he is? God? Creator? It's not the earthquake, it's God. He uses the earthquake. But can you imagine? What would you feel like living in this period, say, the Himalayas just disappeared. Rockies are no more. Sierra Range just got flattened. Where's all the terra firma going? I don't know. Maybe bury Sacramento. Take all that mountain range down. This is not a virtual reality film. We've seen so much stuff made of. Damon was telling me about his boy is in this field that a guy, he was telling me about a guy, he said, well, you see that plane? Well, that plane really wasn't there. We put it in. Or that wasn't, that's why some of those women they could put on there, they borrowed about eight different parts. No wonder she's so beautiful. It ain't her. You ain't married to a virtual reality, honey. You're married to the real thing. The islands flee, the mountains disappear, and then the hailstones. I used to live with Damer and Cynthia while I went to school one summer in Denver, and a hailstorm hit. I never lived around hailstones here, and kids coming to school, their car ceiling wiped out, and, and these are 100 pounds. Imagine a 100-pound solid piece of ice going at the speed of gravity hitting men on the face of the earth, 100 pounds. I tremble in my own spirit, and I feel I'm safe. I'm not afraid of this period because I've met the champion who's going to champion it. I'm not his enemy. This is God's wrath upon his enemies. Let's look at Armageddon. When you hear the term Armageddon, it's only used one time in Scripture right here. But Armageddon stands, if we could call it the campaign of Armageddon, and I cannot give you everything that goes with this, but let me give you the idea of we're in this seven-year period. We're coming to the end of history. He's pouring out his wrath. Jesus is going to come back in Revelation 19. And what is going to happen to these nations that he brings from the east? 
and he gathers other nations. Antichrist will have a Western Confederacy, Southern Africa or Northern Africa, Egypt. They'll have an army there, Daniel 11. Whoever these armies are from the east, where is east? In the Bible, if I said go east, what would we be talking about? Okay. In the Bible, when he gives directions, it's not talking about the east of New York City. Jerusalem is the navel of the earth as far as biblical history. You go north. What's north right now of Jerusalem? Syria, Lebanon. What's in the northernmost parts? Russia. And they'll invade Israel according to Ezekiel, 38, 39. When they're living at peace, they will invade. When you go east, I believe there's a country called Jordan. There's a country called Iraq. Country called Iran. We always get China. Why China? India, okay. The 200 million man, not man army, is a demonic invasion. Remember, back in chapter 9. That's not China. Those are demons. Whoever these armies are, they come from the east, and these demonic spirits here goes out and talks the kings of the earth of all things. Let's go to Israel, the land of Israel, and let's have it out. Why there? They're under demonic influence. The dragon, the beast, the false prophet, these three unclean spirits that are like filthy frogs will go out and talk the kings of the earth into, let's go to battle. And of all places, let's have it out in the land of Israel. He's going to drag them there. They're going to come. They're going to come to a valley called Megiddo. They're going to surround Jerusalem. They're going to fill the valley of Kidron. It's going to, there's going to be a battle down in Jordan called Basra, Isaiah 63. And so there's going to be all kinds of battles and events, too many for us to try to enumerate when you've only got 20 more minutes. But if I feel free, I'll go longer, right? Um, let's walk through it. What does Armageddon mean? Two Hebrew words. Mountain of Megiddo. That's all. It's just Har is mountain. And there was the city, when they built it, they put it on a raised area like a mountain. The mountains are not like the Sierras. But to it with a raised place, so they called it the Mount of Megiddo. So that's but you look up in a Bible atlas. Here's 10 passages you can study on your own to consider all the different places Joel talks about the day of the Lord and this time. I give you the titles of Armageddon. There's many different ones. I give you seven. They're in your notes there. You got them? How many? Is there anybody that doesn't have notes? Okay. I'll give it. $10 a set. You get, is there any notes left? We'll give it to anybody that, raise your hand. Yeah. They just made a pledge. Okay. 
Uh, and here you see these names. The day of the Lord's vengeance. The wine press of God. Great and awesome day of the Lord. The harvest. A day burning like a furnace. Great and terrible day of the Lord. The war of the great day of God the Almighty. When you study it, when you consider it, there's a lot of different geography that's going to be involved. I wish I, we had a map that we could show you this. But you hear terms like the Valley of Jehoshaphat. Well, the word Jehoshaphat means Yahweh judges. Yahweh judges. And Jehoshaphat is believed to be the Kidron Valley, just outside of Jerusalem to the east. And in that valley, the Messiah is going to say, I want to meet you there. I'm going to have it out with you. I'm going to judge you in the valley where God executes judgment. You hear the term Estralon, known as the Valley of Jezreel. Uh, it's mentioned. Basra. Basra is in modern-day Jordan. And it's where the Edomites or the descendants of Esau happened to inhabit. So, Messiah, we'll look at it later, is seen to go down to Basra and have it out. And by the time Isaiah describes him, he's got blood all over his garments. Where have you come from? I have just been at war at Basra. Isaiah 63, Isaiah 34. It's in your notes. I don't expect you to remember it. Just study your notes. And so, during that time, in these different geographical locations. And then the city of Jerusalem will be surrounded by the armies of Antichrist. And Messiah himself, in Zechariah 12 and 14, he splits the city where there's an escape route where people can flee. And he has to fight against the armies there. And it gets so brutal. Turn, can any of you find Zechariah? Let's have a Bible quiz, right? Go to Zechariah. See if you can find it. Look at chapter 14. Chapter 14. Notice verse 1. Behold, a day is coming for the Lord when the spoil taken from you will be divided in your midst. For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle. And the city will be taken, and the houses plundered, and the women raped. Half of the city shall go into exile, but the rest of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as when he fights on a day of battle. On that day his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east. The Mount of Olives shall be split in two, from east to west by a very wide valley, so that one half of the mount shall move northward, the other southward. And you shall flee to the valley of my mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach to Azale. As you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. So he says he's going to rescue them. But notice the plague he uses in verse 12. 
And this shall be the plague with which the Lord will strike all the peoples that wage war against Jerusalem. Their flesh will rot while they are still standing on their feet. Their eyes will rot in their sockets and their tongues will rot in their mouths. God is going to come and liquefy the nations that have gathered to liquidate Israel and their Messiah said, I will fight. And in that day, I will melt their very eyes and their very flesh. And I won't need a blowtorch. I will strike them dead. That's in Jerusalem. Down in Jordan, Basra, I will stomp them to death. Listen to what he says in Revelation 14, a graphic description of what happens in these battles. Pick up verse 17, 14, 17. Then another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, the angel who has authority over the fire, and he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle. Put on your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, for its grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great wine press of the wrath of God. And the wine press was trodden outside the city, probably Kidron, Valley of Jehoshaphat, and blood flowed from the wine press as high as a horse's bridle for 1,600 stadia, and that's 180 to 200 miles. Now, what's interesting about that verse, would blood literally be four feet deep, normal height to a bridle, four, four and a half feet? Does blood have to do that? Maybe so. God says that. Or it might be the analogy of the wine press. The wine press is not grapes here, it's human beings. And he's going to put them in this vat, and Messiah is going to stomp his enemies like grapes. And he said, the slaughter will be so bad that if you were to ride a horse for 180 miles north and south of Palestine, you couldn't complete the ride without blood splattering on your bridles. Probably that's it. It's the idea of the wine press. God the Son, the meek and lowly Jesus, is going to stomp his enemies to death. Why do the nations gather? Why did they come together in the first place? I, I, I make three. One, I have got scripture. Demonic influence brings them. He says that. This is no ordinary campaign. Two, maybe for political reasons, the rest of the earth is upset with this man that declared himself God, this Antichrist, and they don't like his administration. He's not making peace. 
He's declaring himself to be God. He's taken over. He's got the mark of the beast. He's controlling. And maybe it's just outright hate for the uh, Antichrist himself. Maybe. And I am very suspicious. It's the last chance to wipe out every Jew on the earth that even breathes because Satan hates people that had anything to do with bringing Messiah to the world. He hates those that God entrusted to write scripture. The devil hates Jews. Don't you? Don't you? Don't be foolish enough. To, and don't be foolish enough to say God's through with Israel. The church has not replaced Israel. Unless God's a liar to Abraham. Unless he's a liar to David. Unless he's a liar in the new covenant. God cannot, you know, us Calvinists love to say, when God makes a promise, he can keep you, he can keep you. And then we turn around and say, Israel, you lost all of God's promises because you've been unfaithful. Well, everybody in this room has been unfaithful. You have no guarantee of heaven based on your faithfulness because we've all been unfaithful a thousand times. Who do you think you are to undo God's plan for Israel? Leave them alone. Leave them in the hand. Pray for the salvation of Israel. The apostle to the Gentiles said, I'm praying God to save my kinsmen, the kinsmen that are pursuing me to death. There's going to be great hate. Let's kill the Jews. Let's maybe resist the Antichrist. And the worst thing is we're under the influence of demons and don't know it. You know what scares me? is every one of us at one time were under the control of Satan. According to Ephesians 2, we were energized by Satan. According to John 8, 44, at one time, if you ask me where my family tree goes to, I'd have to take it all the way back to Satan, who is the father of lies. You are of your father, the devil, who is a liar and a murderer. You're not of Abraham, you're of Satan. But I want to tell you, the veil was rent. And God spoke the word of creation, let there be light. I've been translated from the kingdom of Satan and darkness to the kingdom of light. Honey, I am in a new kingdom in a new way. I got a new king, a new boss. I'm not in slavery. No more. You got to serve somebody. Well, I got to write somebody. It's Christ. And he will be in charge of the last quarter of history. Let us vote in whoever we want. Let ISIS do whatever it wants. Let the nations be in turmoil. Christ is going to come, and in might and power and in all the authority of heaven, he will execute righteous judgment and seize the earth for himself. That's why Jesus taught us to pray. Pray, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done where? On earth. It's already being done in heaven. It's getting it done on earth. Amen. Pray for it. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. Well, let's just summarize and not finish. Summarize. I'll do this in two minutes. No, I won't. I just lied. I'll summarize. These are just some. There's more detail 
If any of you want to read more, there's a man by the name of Arnold Frutenbaum, The Steps of Messiah, does an incredible job describing the Battle of Armageddon. Arnold Frutenbaum, The Steps of Messiah. You can get it on Amazon. We had him here years ago as a Bible teacher. Does a fabulous job. Mark Hitchcock. You need to get March, Mark Hitchcock, The End. The book is The End. It is a fabulous treatment of all these events. Euphrates dries up. Go through these phases. So that's supernatural. Antichrist and the armies are drawn by demons. Step two. Three, they go for Jerusalem. They surround the city, Zechariah 14. Jesus Christ returns personally, first of all, to Jerusalem and Mount, uh, Mount uh, of Zion. Christ and the armies of the Lord will destroy, destroy those armies that are in the valley of Jehoshaphat. And these battles are being described. He goes down and he destroys the armies in Jordan. They're having a doubt. Then the armies of the earth will eventually meet in hostility after these skirmishes. Then, of course, in Revelation 19, when Christ comes with the armies of heaven and with his people, they will once again resist him, resist him, resist him. The aftermath of Armageddon, two things. There's a bird supper where the birds of heaven will feast on all the rotting corpses from all the slain in the land. And he calls them to the great supper of God. Two, the Antichrist and the false prophet would be cast alive into the lake of fire. No more war on the earth for a thousand years. There'll be one more battle. After a thousand years of the reign of Christ, Satan is unleashed and he leads Gog and Magog in another battle to seize power. When will the devil ever learn? What should all this stuff do? Should it tickle our minds? God forbid. Prophetic truth is always cleansing truth. It ought to have a purifying effect. Watch, lest you be caught off guard like the thief breaking into the house. I ask myself, what should it do for me in the realm of urgency? I talk to a lot of sleepy Christians. They're kind of bored with God, bored with church. They've heard it all before. Any of your loved ones going to be in this period? Got any loved ones that aren't ready for Christ? I believe a part of my blessed hope is Christ is coming for me. I'm hoping I don't see this period. If you're going through it, may God bless you. I believe that I've been given immunity from divine wrath. I am not an object of his wrath. No longer. No longer. I once was a child of wrath. The rain is coming. I never forget in the Family Life Center a senior 
woman, gray-headed, full of years. And I was preaching Genesis, and that morning I preached on, you need a boat for a rainy day. And at the end of the service, she came up with another sister that had brought her to church, and she simply said to me, uh, is there any chance I can get on board? And she received Christ that morning. We baptized her the next month. The issue you ought to be asking, is there any way I could find safety from all these events? If you're trying to scare me, I'm scared. Good, good. God is just. The God of John 3.16 is the God of Revelation 16. Same God. The God of riding on the coat of a donkey, coming in as a meek Savior, is the Lion of the tribe of Judah that grace has not turned the nations to him. 2,000 years he's been holding his arms out and saying, come, come, I will give you rest. I will give you forgiveness. I will give you pardon. And the nations laugh at it, flip him off, reject him. It's a joke. It's a joke. And he says, someday I will withdraw the offer. And I will then execute. Are you facing it? What if you should die today? Are you facing judgment? See, we don't believe in either hell or heaven much today. We don't talk about either. I want a better marriage. Teach me my finances. Oh, I need a better sex life. Um, I need better relationships. I need. You can have all that and go to hell. You can have a great marriage and go to hell. You can have a lot of great. Are you right with the living God? And I wrote down in my Bible this line. Love enough to care and care enough to share. What's the last person you took time to share how they can go to heaven? Have you outgrown that stage? You're in the deeper truths. You're in the deep stuff. Deep my foot. You become bored with the gospel. It no longer burns. When Jude said, look on humanity as a house on fire, and pulling them out of the flames. Jude said it, Jude 21 through 23. Are you pulling anybody out of flames? Or can people easily go to hell around you and never have known the way of escape? You can't save, but you can tell them the way. You can tell them the truth. You can tell them of Christ. And I want to ask every one of you, on your worst gripe day, do you ever think about, thank God for what I've been saved from, not just eternal life, not only heaven, not only escaping hell, even the woes, the terrible things coming upon the earth. And if you think April 15th is hard on you, honey, you haven't seen anything. This is coming. There's a great day coming. I asked my dad how he got saved. No preachers where he lived. Hell's Bend, Oklahoma, outside of Locust Grove. He said, I went to a camp meeting when I was a nine-year-old boy. And at that camp meeting, they sang a song. 
that went this way. Where shall I be when the last trumpet sounds, when it sounds so loud as to wake up the dead? Oh, where shall I be? He said he was plowing in his daddy's fields the next morning. He started plowing when he was five behind a span of mules. He said, I was plowing those fields and every day fought every bit of that ground. I was thinking as a nine-year-old boy, where will I be? Where will I be when the trumpet sounds? He said, I finally stopped the plow by a bunch of elder sprouts in a far corner, and I knelt in my bib overalls, and in the summer he went barefooted. When you're born in 1908, you grow up that way. And he said, I knelt as a nine-year-old boy, and I said, Lord, you're the only one that can give me the answer. You're the only one. If it's you, I want you. But I don't want to land at that day saying, what am I doing here? What am I doing here? I ask you, are you really a Christian today? Walking into a garage doesn't make you a car, and walking into this building doesn't make you a Christian. Do you know Christ? Do you know Christ? And you've been saved for years. If you get bored with invitations, you repent and get over it. If we were greater at evangelism, we'd be double filling the place because time's short and judgment's coming. And none of your family are immune. Most of the Howards I know do not know him. That is related family members. Out of my dad's nine brothers and sisters, it's only his kids and a few others that ever accepted Christ. What's your family tree looking like? Anybody saved around your place? Will any of your family ever come to know of Christ through you? Love enough to care and care enough to share. I want to pray for you. Let's bow our heads. If you're anyone here that you're interested in being saved, if you'll let me know afterwards, just raise your hand. Me and some pastors will wait for you in the front and we'll work with you, try to answer any questions you have. We don't want you to perish. We want you to come to Christ. Our Father, who's here that knows you? Who's here that doesn't know you? Only you know that. There's a great day coming. Who shall be able to stand? I thank you I found a refuge in Jesus, Father. I found the blood that covers the doorpost of my heart and the death angel has to pass over. I'm under the blood. I'm under the blood. The death angel must pass over. I'm in Messiah. I'm in you, Jesus. 115 times you said, I'm in you. I'm in you. I'm a part of you. I'm your bride. I'm under your divine care. All by grace. All through mercy. Through no merit of my own. If there's anyone here today that doesn't know Jesus, has never come and put faith in him, and know their sins are washed away. Hell has been canceled. 
and future wrath has been canceled. Please, today, don't let them go another day. Don't let them be a part of those who, I refuse to repent. I will curse you. I will hate you, but I won't come to you. Oh, please, in mercy, turn their heart, turn their heart to you. Turn their heart to you. I'm going to ask you, is there anyone here? Let me know. Raise hand. Put it back down. Are you here? And I'll take time with you after this service. And I want some pastors to help me. Anyone else? A precious young man, raise his hand. Anybody else? Just let me know. Are you here? Let me know. Raise your hand if you want this Christ. If you don't want him, that's between you and him. Anyone else? Anybody? They said, I, I don't know him, but I want to come to him. Are you here? If you didn't raise your hand and you still want him, we'll be in the front after a while. Don't be threatened. We're not going to put you on the spot. We want to talk to a burdened heart and hopefully show you the way. Show you the way. Let us stand.